I want to talk to you guys about an article that I read recently that I think uh, has a profound impact uh, potentially on chiropractic. Um, and I'm super excited about this and I want to share this with you. Um, and it was in the Journal of uh, Frontiers in Pediatrics um, on, in May of this year. Uh, and as you may or may not know, the Frontier journals are all high impact journals. So these are like, this isn't like, you know, some small journal or off the view kind of journal or, um, or even a chiropractic journal. This is, this is a high impact journal. And it's written by a chiropractor uh, from the Netherlands uh, whose name is Dr. Jan Hove. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but uh, that's what it looks like to me. Um, and, uh, oh, and it's called Clinical Evidence of Vestibular Dysregulation in Colicky Infants, Colicky Babies Before and After Chiropractic Treatment versus Non-Colicky Babies. <clears throat> I think this is one of the most brilliant articles that I've read in a long time. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm super excited that it was written by a chiropractor. Um, and the thing I really like about it is that for many, many years, I have been talking about colicky babies and kids with reflux and that kind of stuff. And I've been talking about how their main issue, aside from their obvious subluxation, is dietary, which he concurs and he agrees that there's definitely a dietary uh, you know, impact with these children. But he said, maybe there's something else. Because, uh, and it's absolutely true, um, there are kids who change their diets and their colic doesn't go away. Um, and there are kids who don't change their diets and their colic goes away. So there, there's a, there's, maybe there's something more to colic than just dietary and just, just subluxation. And his unique thought process, which I never really thought of before, is that colic is actually a vestibular disorder. That um, what it is is a vestibular dysregulation and what you can do as a uh, chiropractor is you can ask the patients five questions that they've come up with to determine whether or not this particular baby has some sort of vestibular issues associated with whatever's going on. So you can kind of rule out, is this truly, is this a truly a dietary related colicky kind of kid, or is this more of a vestibular colicky kind of kid? So I think you, you kind of, it kind of breaks them down to two different things. So um, this article, and what, what I'll do it, let me, good save. Um, thank you, hockey reflexes. Um, so I'm going to put this article, I'm gonna give this to you in the chat here. So in case you want to look at it, you may. Um, but I'm going to go through it. You can see, I, I, you see, I'm like a real geek. I highlight articles and stuff. Um, <laughs> so, first off, um, just to understand this, according to the literature that he did a real review on, colic is 20, 15 to 25 percent of kids of newborns. That's a lot. That's you know, that's a lot of kids. That's one out of every four children, essentially. Uh, is having some sort of episodes or crying. And if you remember the, uh, the scale that they call uh, for crying is uh, it's called a Wessel Criteria Scale. It's three hours a day, 
for three days a week for three weeks. Uh, so they call it the rule of three for colic. Um, and I will tell you, most kids who are colicky, it's more than that. It's like 10 hours a day, every single day, for weeks on end. Um, that's the first thing that he talks about. Second thing is he notices this, um, which he said also is associated with colic throughout the literature. Number one, they have an asymmetric posture and a head preference that's often almost like a torticollis-like thing, so it's either a, a left or right kind of torticollis sort of thing, uh, even when asleep, uh, which may lead to developmental plagio or brachiocephaly like we talked about in our first class where you had the flattened head in one way or another. Number two is extensor hypertonicity, um, uh, which means that they're kind of stuck in extension, which is very common in colicky kids because they're always in like gas kind of pain, uh, or what looked like gas kind of pain, so they're always sort of like stuck in extension. Number uh, three is upper cervical movement or joint dysfunction, muscular tightness, and, or, and occipital tenderness. So we might call that subluxation. Um, number four is high levels of stress and stress arousal. Number five is breastfeeding difficulties, which is very common with colicky kids uh, because they're always so upset. <clears throat> number six is gastrointestinal disorders such as regurgitation, intestinal cramps, etc. So that may also relate to, like when we talked about that, you have some colicky kids who truly do have GI issues. And, um, and these six things uh, together uh, are commonly associated with these kids with colic. But he said um, a lot of times these kids don't necessarily respond in the way you think they would. So he came up with a vestibular hyperactivity index to determine if the child's colicky behavior was related to the vestibular system. So here are the five questions you ask the mom or dad or caregiver. Number one, uh, your baby does not calm down or fall asleep during a car ride, which is very common. I'll see this with kids who are colicky, that, that, that calming them down is very challenging. And car rides, which usually like, make kids pass out, is, does not make these kids pass out. So that's the first thing. <clears throat> that may have an indication of vestibular hyperactivity. The second thing, uh, or thing to note, is your baby does not calm down or fall asleep when held against your chest or cradled in your arms while you're walking around at a brisk pace. Usually a, a typical, a neurotypical child, if you hold them, if you cradle them or you hold them or you, something like that, they will calm down. But one thing I know, I've known for years from all the, the kids I've dealt with, especially the severe colicky kids, is calm, some of these kids will not calm down. Like there is nothing. Uh, you know, we've had kids literally where their, their two behaviors were sleeping or crying, and there was no other behavior. Um, even when they were eating, they were still kind of sobbing because of, of this dysregulation um, going on. Number three, um, your, when your baby has fallen asleep against your chest, it, you cannot lay the baby supine in the crib without waking the baby up and crying. So the baby is against you like this, and you lay the baby down like this, the baby wakes up. And why does the baby wake up? What reflex is that causing? The moral reflex, right? And the moral reflex really is a vestibular function test because the whole point of the moral reflex is, to, is that you're taking the head from this position and you're bringing it down from like a, you know, whatever, you know, 
position like this and you're bringing it down. Now, sometimes a marble reflex can be done this way, sometimes it can be done this way. But either way, when you're taking the baby from here to here and you're trying to put them to, to get them to sleep out of, the, out of your arms or out of the car seat or something like that and you move them, they're like, oh, right? And now their vestibular system is enacted by the presence of the hyperactive moral reflex, which is a sign of vestibular hyperactivity. Number four, when sleeping, the baby may wake up with a scream showing the symptoms of the moral reflex. So a lot of kids who um, have colic, when they wake up, even though there's no loud noise and there's no you know, clapping or whatever like that, they will still kind of wake up and when they wake up they scream and they, they, they go like this. And um, one of the things that he's suggesting is that a lot of these kids may um, have like dreams that they're falling or because the, the two main fears that a child has um, is loud noises and fear of falling. So they may have a dream or, or a sense that they're falling um, or even they move a little bit, but they feel like they're falling because of the vestibular dysregulation that's happening. And number five is the baby is much more comfortable lying in a, inclined in a car seat than a supine in a crib. So, because if you think about it, when you're at an angle like this, the lateral semicircular canal is relatively vertical, whereas um, if the baby is horizontal like this, now the semicircular canal is kind of at an angle and the baby might feel like they're falling. So, and I see that a lot in kids. Uh, we, we, we've had some parents who say, you know, I hate telling you this as a chiropractor, but I don't put my baby to sleep in a bed. I put him to sleep in a car seat or in some sort of swing or something where there's a, like an angle like this. Um, and and they, they feel guilty about this because they, they know it's like not the greatest for their spine. But, but to me, I'm like, hey, don't worry about that. Wherever the kid sleeps, who cares? I don't care if you had to hang them upside down. Not that I recommend that. But, you know, whatever, you, like sleeping babies are good. It's healthier to sleep than not to sleep, that's for sure. So, what he did is, and this isn't a small study. This guy, it wasn't like a typical chiropractic study where you see like five kids or two kids. This was 120 colicky babies with 117 non-colicky babies as a, as a control. That's amazing. So this guy in Netherlands, I want to meet this dude. This guy has seen like 250 babies in whatever time frame this is. That's pretty decent. Um, I'm pretty impressed with this dude. Uh, so uh, I sent him an email. I hope he responds back to me. Um, now, the thing that I really like about his paper, uh, too, is that he kind of, he and I are kind of on the same wavelength. Because he says... From an evolutionary perspective, it is unlikely the baby would engage in non-functional crying because in order for, the, uh, for things to work, the baby should never cry wolf, right? Which makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, uh, from an evolutionary perspective, like we've talked about, a kid with colic, a kid with reflux, it, if this is 500 years ago and you're in the middle of wherever you are and your baby is screaming in the middle of the night, you're attracting coyotes and wolves and bear and all these other kind of predatory animals. Not a good idea. This is not an evolutionary advantage to do something like that. Um, so I agree with that 100%. He also says from an energy perspective, this is an unlikely advantageous because excessive crying costs 20 times more energy compared to being quiet. So it wouldn't make sense from an energy perspective to waste 20 times more energy just to cry. So I think this is just outrageous how well thought out this is. Um, so this is his conclusion um, that uh, 
aberrant proprioceptive traffic into the vestibular system and the medial cerebellum arising from tight suboccipital musculature, possibly acquired at birth, right? Birth trauma, you have a C-section, traumatic birth, a tough long delivery, you know, 40 hour labor or something like that, um, uh, you know, forceps, et cetera, et cetera, could conceivably provide a mechanism for dysregulation hyperactivity of the vestibular nuclei. So by and what he used is he used sort of an activator-like instrument to work on the suboccipital area. And here's the amazing thing, is that within four adjustments, 90% of the kids that he was working on were symptom-free. So I am like wowed by this, but here's the real reason why I'm wowed. The ultimate reason why I'm wowed by this article is because this is one of the first articles I've ever seen that show chiropractic helping babies Brains, right? Because I've seen a whole host of articles of, uh, you know, uh, usually very small studies, one, two babies, three, five, ten babies, where uh, they're showing very specific, uh, like the asthma or colic, I've even seen articles, but, but they're, they're not good, well done um, uh, research where there's no control group. But this is talking about the brain. This isn't just, this isn't talking about symptom reduction, right? My goal isn't symptom reduction. My goal is brain improvement. And this guy did it. And I'm like stoked to think that Dr. Hove showed that this is working on some, on a child's brain. And why is that important? Because if you really think about this, like if, if, if you came in and you had a stomach ache and you had all these GI issues, I could use the power of suggestion if I'm a very highly, you know, like charismatic kind of person to say, what I'm going to do is going to work. And they use, you know, I just believe Dr. Rubin so much because he's just, I just feel it, right? You can't do that with a baby, right? With a baby, it either works or it doesn't work. There's no communication. There's no like, I have a stronger belief system than you do, right? Yeah, right, right. Which in, in, a, in an adult to an adult or an adult to, to a, a, a child who's, verbally communicative, a, a person with a very strong communicative skills has a way to, to turn that child or turn that adult into going in that direction, right? You can use the power of suggestion, uh, that kind of stuff. But there's no placebo here, right? I, you, can't, you can't eliminate, well, the, the doctor is just charismatic or the doctor talked to the patients and made some, This is just, they're either adjusted or they're not adjusted and everything changed in four visits. And it changed their brains because this is what I've been talking about like for years. What we do, I'm, I'm not a back doctor or an occiput doctor or a suboccipital musculoskeletal doctor. I'm a brain doctor. The brain and nerve system. And this article really gives a lot of weight to that. So um, I, I wanted to share this with you because, you know, I'm always reading research. Uh, but this research article, and this is why I read research, because once in a while a gem comes up. You know, uh, I read tons of articles every single year, um, and, but about maybe once or twice a year, an article really floats to the surface um, and stands way above the rest. And I think this, I think this article is going to open things up for a lot more neurologically based articles. Um, on, on dealing with children, and, and I really appreciate that. Because to me, 
There's nothing more important than we can do than to show evidence to our patients who are going to come in with these kids and say, how, like, because if you just think about what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to work, like, even if we just do cranial work, like we talked about in our first class, how the parents can say, okay, how is what he's going to do going to affect my kid's tummy? I don't get it. But now if you can say what we're doing is it may look like, colic may look like a tummy issue because they may have some, you know, gas, but it might be all this vestibular stuff that's going on. And if we can get their brains to calm down, it's not just their brains that are calming down with their bellies, it's, it's their brains coming down for later on. Because if you read the research, kids with colic have a much higher tendency of having neurobehavioral, neurodevelopmental problems later on. So this is just the beginning, right? If you already have a dysregulated brain when you're a newborn, will that dysregulation morph into something else later on or not? I don't want to take the chance on that. I don't want to roll the dice. Let's get this kid's vestibular system working now, right? So I think this is brilliant, and um, I hope you guys read this article, and uh, if you want to talk more about it or comment on it, I would love to hear more comments.